929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app site, you catch us when you are on the go. Social media at 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am at JMCH316. We got Josh Hartnett producing the show here tonight. Hey, Hawks fans, we got a new podcast for you. Nothing but Nest. My buddies Caleb Johnson and Deshaun Tate take you around the Hawks season. So get all of that action. Nothing but Nest is free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll get to That's Life coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. But we uh, heard from Tori McElhaney earlier in the show. We'll replay her at 940 as we get ready for Falcons and the Commodores coming up on Sunday. Look, I said good win for the Falcons over the Bears. This was a game that felt like they could win it if things went right. They could lose it if some things didn't go right. And they found a way to make some plays. I thought they did a good job on Justin Fields, and they beat him up. And Justin Fields' body language at the end of the game wasn't just about that Falcons game. That was the accumulation of multiple weeks of having to be the focal point of their offense and carrying that on his shoulders and taking that kind of beating. That stuff that Justin Fields has done is not sustainable. And by the way, all of that stuff that he's done isn't getting him any victories. He, by the way, Fields talked about that. I think it was today in the presser that they were talking, or not today, yesterday in the presser about, you know, he, he felt like he had let his team down and all that because, and he didn't let his team down per se, but again, they've had like five chances to win games late and have not been able to close things out. So, Good victory, keeps us in the playoff hunt, certainly keeps the conversation about should Ritter start and all that kind of stuff. I notice how quiet that's been this week, and not because Mariota's been outstanding, but as long as his team keeps finding a way to win, they're going to play the same guy. And the formula holds true. 20 attempts or less, 4-1 and one on the season. 21 attempts or more, they are 1-5. I know, I know, random happenstance, pure coincidence, nothing to see here, just a figment of my imagination. It's out there in the universe. It's just a cosmic explosion in the universe, right? It's not a trend or anything like that. It's not something I've been telling you about for 10 weeks now. It is what it is. There is a pathway and there is a specific pathway to getting a victory for this team. By the way, yeah, because a lot of things are, are break around. This is the first victory the Falcons have had where they didn't rush for at least 167 yards. Still ran for 149, but this is the first game all year that they have a victory when it wasn't at least 167 yards. But one thing that stays pretty lock-solid true is if you keep Mariota in his lane, they can find a way to win. Now, this coming weekend, the number one matchup to watch in this game is Jonathan Allen against Dolman in the inside of our offensive line. Jonathan Allen last week was a complete game wrecker for the Commodores. He had two sacks, four quarterback hits, and three tackles for loss. On the season... He's tied with Deron Payne, by the way, with six and a half sacks. Montez Sweat, by the way, has six himself, and they get Chase Young back this week. He's got 14 tackles for loss, and he has 15 hits on the quarterback. Listen to some of these numbers that they have. Allen's got 15 hits on the quarterback. 
Payne has 14 hits on the quarterback. Sweat has 22 hits on the quarterback. James Smith-Williams has a dozen hits on the quarterback. They have three guys with at least six sacks on their team. Oh, yeah, and they're getting back Chase Young. So what offense, excuse me, what offensive line do we get? Do we get the offensive line that we saw against the Carolina Panthers and Derrick Brown where we were completely destroyed and run over? Or do we get the offensive line that last week was the number one graded offensive line according to Pro Football Focus? They were number one in the league last week. Does the truth lie somewhere in the middle? I don't think so. I think we're going to see either a performance like we saw last weekend or we're going to see a performance like we saw against Carolina. Because this team, this Commodores team, is coming to hunt. They're coming after you to hunt. They're, they're not. By the way, they're also top six in the NFL as far as run defenses go. So that all starts up front. Sixth fewest rushing attempts, sixth fewest yards in the league, seventh fewest touchdowns in the league as far as defensively rushing the football. So they can get after it defensively. By the way, they're six and five right now. They've certainly played much better of late, right? They're on a two-game winning streak, and they've won five of their last six games. The only game that they lost in their last six was to the team that may be the number one or number two seed in the NFC when all is said and done in the Minnesota Vikings. And they only lost that game 20-17. to 17. Outside of that, the last time the, – outside of that, the, the last time that they lost, November 6th was the Vikings game. The last time that they had lost before that was October 9th. So since October 9th, they've lost one game. And they get it done – with their defense. This has got to be a game where we run the football, control the line of scrimmage. We don't put our quarterback in harm's way. We don't put him in tough situations. And what do I say all the time on this show? Short, quick route, one read, throw. Josh, do me a favor. Go into Dylan's folder and see if you can find, because uh, it's not, I don't think, in, you may have to search for a minute or two. We have short, quick route, one read, throw set to hip-hop music. So search around and see if you can find that. It may be under something called short, quick route, one read, throw, and all that. It may not be in his folder. So see if you can find all that. But that's what it is. And especially with pits out now, you're not going to be able to stretch the field. You're not going to be able to push the ball downfield. Not going to be able to do a lot of those things. Drake London's going to see extra coverage out of all of it. Right? So you're going you're gonna to have to be really effective running the football. This is probably one of those games you're going to have to find 150, 160 yards to try to win this thing. This is going to be a, a tough matchup, and this is one of those games that, you know, again, it, as good as they're playing, as good as the you know, Washington is playing right now, you know, look, they're, they're not, you know, they're hot of late, but they haven't completely set the league on fire. But they are red hot here of late. Again, 5-1 and one in their last six games. That's... That's a really good stretch in the NFL. Not easy to go 5-1 and one over any stretch of an NFL schedule, even when you're at the end of the year and teams are tanking and, and giving up on the season. And Rivera's done a nice job. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Ron Rivera guy in the world, but they've done a, you know, he's done a, a good job with them. You know, they only scored 19.5 points per game. So it's not like that they 
roll it up on people. That's 23rd in the NFL. But they give up the 12th fewest points per game in the NFL at 20.3. I expect low scoring. I expect it to be a slugfest. And this is going to be about can our offensive line hold up against their defensive front, and especially Jonathan Allen going against Dolman. Dolman had his best game of his career last week. That's the best he's played all season. By the way, it wasn't just his pass and run blocking. His snapping of the football was much better last week. You could tell that they had worked on him snapping the football. Remember how bad it was against Carolina where Mariota's having to drop down on the turf and pick the ball up off the ground? Well, it wasn't like that. Did you find it, Josh? Okay. Here's what, here's what we say about Mariota. Here's Mariota and where his success is. One read, throw. Okay. Short. Yeah. Quick route. Yeah. One read. Yeah. Throw. Yeah. Short. Quick route. One read. Throw. There it is. Short. Quick route. One read. Yeah. Throw. Okay. Right? That's easy, right? Set it to your favorite hip-hop beat and Short. just play it. Yeah. Quick route. One read. Throw. Uh, okay. Uh, Short. Yeah. Quick route. Yeah. One read. Yeah. Throw. Yeah. Short. Quick route. One read. Throw. There you know it is. It. Short. Quick route. Roll to Hoochie Mama's One read. Yeah. Anyway. Throw. Okay. So, look, this is going to be a slugfest. This is, this is going to be, you know, strength on strength, and we'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be tough because it's on the road as well. You know, and I don't know. At this point, I don't know how much of a hostile environment that is up there. In the old days, when I was growing up, when it was RFK and you had the Hogs and all that, and they were, you know, one of the premier franchises in the entirety of the NFL, it was a lot different environment. I don't know what their environment is like up there. I can't tell you that I watch very many Commodores games anymore. By the way, they got inducted in the Hall of Fame, I think, over the weekend, didn't they? Or was it just Lionel Richie that got inducted in the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Was it the Commodores or was it just Lionel No, it was Ritchie? just Lionel Richie. Okay, all yeah. right. Well, listen, when you think of the Commodores, who do you think of first? Lionel Richie. You don't think of Taylor Heineke. You don't think of Jonathan Allen. You think of Lionel Richie. So, but again, this is, this is going to be a slugfest with these two teams. And, you know, I'm going to be very curious to see how they try to figure out and open some things up in the passing game. You know, can, are they going to try to force the ball to London some? You know, look, say what you will about Zacchaeus and Hodge. When those guys have had some opportunities, they've made some plays with those guys in their passing game. I do think that they are going to use Patterson in some sets where they split him out wide to make teams have to line up and focus on him. And maybe that takes some pressure off of London or Zacchaeus or some of those guys. Because the tight end position is what it is, right? Ferkser, Hesse, whatever. Those guys are what they are. I don't want to see Felipe Franks. I'm, I, I like Felipe Franks a lot in training camp watching him. I, you know, you can have him now at this point. You can, you can, you can keep him. You know, uh, you can, you can have him. He can go back to, he can go back to playing quarterback, as far as I'm concerned out there. But we'll be curious to see how they do this because they certainly have enough running backs. But you watch how Patterson runs the football. He's violent. He comes at you. He attacks you in the running game. He comes at you hard. He's not built like Earl Campbell, but he runs like he's Earl Campbell. And you can do that when there's not a lot of beat-up factor on you, right? Even though he missed a whole bunch of time, when you don't have as much beat-up factor because of the accumulation of carries. That's why I say, when you look at Justin Fields, that wasn't just that game. You could see on his face. That's the last four or five weeks of putting all of that pressure on him 
to have to make all of those plays with his legs. That was an accumulative effect in all of that. All right, when we come back, it'll be time for That's Life. Um, Be careful about eating concessions in Jacksonville, plus our top 10 as well. Chuck Green, the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 19 on the game, odyssey.com app. We've heard so much about you. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you in the Kia Studios. 9.21 on this Tuesday evening. You know what time it is. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 929thegame on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am at JMCH316. We got Josh Hartnett producing the show here for us this evening. We'll get to our top 10 here in just a few minutes. Josh, did you hear about this story in the NFL that the concessions at Jacksonville, so I don't even know what they call that stadium anymore, but... They were recently cited because inspectors found 129 violations at 29 concession stands in the stadium. Some of the citations included they found two dead rodents and 159 rodent droppings. And I believe that some of the concessions weren't even licensed anymore or whatever to do what they were doing. That's terrible. I know. I didn't hear it. Just, I just looked it up, and it's a TIAA Bank Stadium. Okay. Or TIAA Bank Field, excuse me. Yeah, um, it, it should be POOP Stadium is what it should be. But as someone who's been to Jacksonville mm-hmm. Jacksonville before, I'm not shocked. Yeah, I, I've been to the Gator Bowl, but I've not been to I, – I, is this the same thing, or did they, is this remodeled Gator Bowl, or they build a whole new stadium? No, it's a whole new stadium. Okay, because I was at the Gator Bowl. I've been to that before, but I've not been to – What'd you call it? The P-O-O-P yeah, stadium? Yeah. Yeah. The R-A-T P-O-O-P stadium? I mean, that's yeah, that's nah. What do you expect, though? Like, I asked you this over the weekend. I think Jacksonville's just looking for a reason to try to get out of that city. I think, the ja- I think Shad Khan would love to find a reason to move the Jacksonville Jaguars. To some- I know he said he's committed and all this, that, and the other. I just don't think he's found the right scenario. I think what he really wants to do is I think he wants to move them to London. Nobody wants to be in Jacksonville. I think he wants Nobody. to move them to London. I think that's where he wants to go. I did not know that this is the headquarters of the AEW. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's where AEW, yes. Because when the pandemic hit, they were doing all of their shows at that open-air theater in Jacksonville is where they were taping uh, all of that, yes. And it's that's more Tony Khan that owns the AEW than, than Shot. And, and by the way, you know they made their money in car parts, basically, like like different uh, car parts and stuff like that. Like they, that's how they got their fortune. But I think he won. I think he would love to have a stadium, or sorry, a team in London. Just logistically, there's no way you could have that happen in the NFL without a whole bunch of other teams uh, for it. Um, I love always talking about these auctions. So there is a game used bat that has been. Uh, what do they want to say? Photo matched with this is from somewhere between 1910 and 1914. It is a Ty Cobb used bat. 
and they've been able to find multiple photo matches of what this bat is, including there's a picture here of Ty Cobb standing next to Shoeless Joe Jackson. It sold, are you ready, for $1.62 million. It's now the world record holder for game-used bats. Imagine, like, again, I ask this question all the time. If you spend $1.62 million on a bat, what are you doing with it? Because if I'm spending a million and a half more on a bat, I'm having it in a glass case in my house, and I have an armed security guy at all times there. Like, there's a guy that lives at my house with a loaded, legal-permitted weapon that is standing beside that case at all times. Would you spend $1.62 million on a on a game-used bat? No, I don't know about $1.62 million. I mean, that's a nice little chunk. But then, like, yeah, maybe you just display it in your house. Like, uh, yeah, you but, got a bat. Okay, but you got a bat. I, if I've got a, you know, almost $2 million piece of memorabilia in my house, there's an armed guard that's going to be there with it. If, if I have one6 to spend on a bat, yeah, I I've got I've got sixty seventy five thousand a year I can give to a security guard. I don't know if that's going to be necessarily displayed in my home. Like well, I would have to do have, it though. What, well, I'm the, saying I put it in a museum somewhere. I'm going to have a separate facility because obviously I think if we're going to buy a museum to put it in. Well, no, but you can you know buy it and then say, hey, I'm going to loan this to you guys. Give it to Cooperstown, whatever. Do what you got to do with it, but. What are you gonna do? Just leave it in the house? If I'm spending that kind of just money, keep it in the keep it keep it in the closet next to the front door, just in case somebody comes right, through the door. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I'm. If I'm gonna spend that kind of money, okay, uh, I I you either have to give it away completely and just write it off, or you got to keep it at your house, because again, the Hall of Fame is not gonna just let you wander in whenever you want and say, "Can I have my bat back? Can, can I can I can I have my bat? I want to show this girl." This bat that I bought for $1.62 million and try to impress her. I mean, I understand. Look, it's a massive part of sports history. It's an amazing piece. But if it's at my house, then there's also a 75 grand a year armed security guy that's going to stand over and watch it. Damn near $2 million piece of yeah. wood. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And and think about what these ba- – you know, we talk about this all the time on my show. These baseball cards that are selling for five, eight, ten million dollars $10 it's, it's crazy. And if I'm going to have it, brother, I'm going to have somebody with a gun standing next to it to keep, it, uh, keep everybody at bay. All right, today is the anniversary of the JFK shooting in Dallas. Are, are you a conspiracy theorist person or anything like that? I am not a conspiracy theorist. Okay, no. all right, so you understand Oswald did kill him. I am under the impression that, yes, that is okay. what happened. And, yes. and it's been proven scientifically that Oswald killed him. Because and I, and I actually have a... Uh, a newspaper from that day that my uh, was in my one of my grandma great grandmother's uh, personal belongings um, from the Delaware Gazette, Delaware, Ohio, from the day that Kennedy was assassinated. I've got it framed in my house. My my mom used to have a and it got tossed out and all that kind of stuff in a move that we that they did, but she used to have a copy of all of that. Um, so I'm I I understand completely out of all of that. So with that, tonight's top 10 list, top 10 memorable or meaningful deaths that have occurred in your life, excluding, obviously, like your family and friends and 
the 9-11 tragedy. You know what I mean? Like more celebrity-style deaths and stuff like that that you remember that were a big deal or meant something to you. The, the floor is yours, Josh. Okay. I, 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 I tried to come up with 10. It was a little tough. Oh, I agree. Because, you know, you want to think – obviously, you got to think outside the family. Um, and like you said, those kind of major events. Uh, but just a couple for me, I'm – I was born in 1981, so I came up, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, early for me, especially. Wait, what year did you say you were born? 1981. Okay, all right. So 41 years old. Okay. Um, so you you just moved out of the dopey millennial status in my book. Yes, I, I barely made it out. Yes, because my thing is anybody who is under 40 or if you're under 40, not married, or no children, you're a dopey millennial. That, yeah. It's very easy. I, yeah. make, I make it very easy. No, I, I don't. I don't get into all these other things. If you're if you're 38, not married, and you have no kids, then you're a dopey millennial. So yeah, for me, at 41 years old, I got an 11 year old son. Uh, okay, not yes. married, but okay. I've been in a relationship no, but, for almost a decade. No, but here's the thing: you you you've got kids. Yeah. You're over 40. You yeah. moved out of the dopey millennial status. Yeah. So for me, coming up in the 90s, 2000s. Uh, one of the big ones for me was Tupac when Tupac died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when Tupac Shakur died. Are you sure died. he's dead? I he's dead. He's because he's released like nine. Nah, albums. he would have come back a long time ago. Okay, but he's released. He's, you know, he's worth more dead now than he ever was worth alive. And he's released like nine. Well, everybody albums. is. Everybody seems to be more yeah. w- worth more dead. When and they and are he's alive. released like nine albums. So yeah, Tupac's one of them. Biggie as well. Uh, this was you know ninety five, ninety six, really big year for hip hop. Right. Really kind of shook everybody to their core. I and think. he was getting into movies and everything else. Yeah, he was kind of trying to yes. he was trying to get away from a lot of the stuff that yes. was going on. Yes. Uh, so unfortunately, two really talented gentlemen lost their lives at 25 years old. I mean, these both these guys were under 30 years yeah. old when they passed away. So that was a really big um Easy E as well. Um because just you know the way he died, the nature of what what he passed from AIDS, uh, really kind of shocked a lot of people. So that kind of stood out for mm-hmm. me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernie Mac was a big one, yeah. Um, because I think when when people are kind of at the height of celebrity and then they get sick, and you really don't see it coming, I think it's a big shock to a lot of people. He had a successful show that he was going that was going on and everything, yeah. and. It just, it did. It kind of came out of nowhere. Because I have one of those kinds of guys, too, that just yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. I bet, I'm, I'll bet you it's going to be on your list. So, yeah, Bernie Mac was another one. Uh, Jim Henson oh, yeah. was a big one. That's a good call. Um, Jim Henson was a big one for me. Obviously, we grew up with the yes. Muppets and Fraggle Rock and all that. And you just. So do I represent one of the guys in the balcony, one of the old guys in the balcony? <laughs> no, That's, no. I get that a lot. But I think when you're younger, you just see celebrities as people who are just kind of not not indestructible or you know but you just see that you don't expect them to pass away at a certain time right right. um so yeah jim henson bernie mac tupac biggie easy e kurt cobain Mm -hmm. was a big one yes um you know early like i said early 90s the way that he had just shaped the, the the music um chadwick boseman was a big one that's the one i got on my list okay well because when you think about all the things that he was coming into, yeah, and and by the way, he fought that for years, and nobody knew, nobody, even his best friends didn't know. Nobody what he was knew going through. But you think about at the point where he died, 
he was coming into so many good things in his career. His yeah. career was blowing up, and there were so many good things that were coming. You know, obviously, as we see Black Panther and the Avengers and yeah. all that. I mean, just no, you I, know, he played Jackie Robinson. I mean, just there's so many things that he was coming into. I remember we were on vacation, and I remember the time. I just I saw the news blur. It was during the I was pandemic, like, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't during yeah, 2020? Yeah, it was during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. And I was just, holy cow, Chadwick Boseman is dead. Like 44 like, or like, something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was 40, like early 40s. 43. I was like, yeah. what in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was another one. And then uh, Prince, of course, I think Prince yeah. is a big one, yeah. obviously because of the circumstances mm-hmm. that surrounded it. And kind of my last one, Michael Jackson. Yeah. So I've got – so my honorable mention, if you will, for lack of a better term, um, Chadwick Boseman's on there. Robin Williams. Yes. Because that was kind of one of those things, especially when you found out that he killed himself. I yes. Mean, yes. And how depressed he was and everything like that. Yeah. And then I was on air a few weeks ago when we lost Vince Dooley. Like, yeah. The, the thing about losing Vince Dooley is there just aren't a lot of those old school kind of coaches like mm-hmm. that left anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? right? We don't have a plethora, you know, Bear and Vince and people. We don't have a lot of those guys left. Bo Schembechler. Woody Hayes, we just don't have that generation of football coaches anymore. The guys who who necessarily kind of like embody and, and, and a you, university. If you say I was gonna say defined school. a program. Yeah, they, if I mean you say the school, that's right. you think Vince about that. Vince defines the University of Georgia. Yeah. I mean, he's the definition of all that. So my list, I remember where I was. My mom was a huge fan of Elvis. We were in Homosassa Springs, Florida, at a like petting zoo when we found out that my mom found out that Elvis had died. That was a big deal. Now, in hindsight, it's not really shocking that he died with everything he had going on. Yeah. But that was a big deal the day Elvis died. I wonder how that passed down, like down the chain. Because obviously back then there was no social media. There TV was no news. breaking news. I mean, oh, I mean okay. TV news. Okay. I mean, once it came out on TV news, is it every Elvis dying was in every major, every newspaper in the country. Uh, just like we talk about every newspaper had Elvis. Every TV news network had Elvis on when he died. Um, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. That oh, was a good shock one. on a, oh, yeah. on a I Sunday didn't even morning. Think about that. That was on a Sunday morning, if I remember right, too. I didn't even think that was real at first. No, I didn't either. Until obviously we saw TMZ break it, and I think TMZ is a very credible yep. organization when it comes to breaking news. So when TMZ broke it, I was like, "This is well, real." And then we didn't know the whole story about his daughter was with him and all this kind of stuff. We didn't know about all of that. Yeah, I feel bad leaving that one off. That was a good one. Um, Whitney Houston, yes. way way too young, and her and Bobby lived here in Atlanta. I mean, you would see them out at the Palm and stuff. That was awful. Like that was an yeah. Awful I've one. I've had I've had uh, situations with them or experiences with them years back in Alpharetta when I used to work right. at a restaurant. They would come in. And what they, restaurant you work at? It was it was a small little wing place. It was called the American Wing Company. Okay. Yeah, this was probably a good almost twenty years ago. Right. But um, yeah, they were as advertised. I mean, they oh, yeah. were. Yeah, they were crazy, flamboyant. Yeah, and they were wild. Yeah, they and were in public, I mean, they, and they, they, they had no yeah. shame. Nope. Nope. I mean, but I, yeah, that I was that was tragic. Absolutely. Um, I've got three singers. I got Michael Jackson, Prince, and George Michael. Okay, George um, Michael. Yeah. That ha- George Michael, I think, died near Christmas, if I remember. It was right. no, it was like at Christmas the yeah. day before. Yeah, Christmas. it was yeah. like right around Christmas time, and and that was like all three of those going were a shock to me. Um, Heath Ledger dying as 
they were wrapping up everything in the production side of The Dark Knight. And you find out that Heath Ledger dies. And he would obviously win the Oscar posthumously. But still, you think about, because there was talk that, that Nolan wanted him back for the final Dark for the final Batman movie. He wanted him back in all of that. And then my last three, Luther Vandross, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay, yeah. And for me, as a youth, John, when John Belushi died, immensely funny. Yeah. Was doing well in his films. I, that documentary is great. Dan Aykroyd talked to John Belushi a week before he died and said, "Look, I've got this project that I'm. I've got this script that I'm writing that is going to get us back on track." Because Belushi was having trouble in his film career. I've got this script that's going to get us back on track, and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of this movie. I'm writing it now. We're trying to put it together. I want you to be a part of it. You know what that movie was? Ghostbusters. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. imagine Bill Absolutely. Murray, John Belushi, and Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. See, but I wonder who Belushi would have, whose place he would have taken. I guess maybe. Harold Ramis. Oh, man. He had taken Harold Ramis' place. Because that movie wasn't written for Harold Ramis. That was written no, for yeah, yeah. Belushi, Murray, and Aykroyd. Those three guys were going to do the they're gonna do Ghostbusters. And then Belushi died on them, and that's I just what think, Harold I mean, Ramis I think did. Ramis added so much to that film, to that role. I agree. Yeah. But can you imagine John Belushi? Oh, Another John, John Candy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that the was famous, tough. Uh, when, especially when he was at the Super Bowl and Joe Montana said, hey, that's John Candy over there. So... Anyway, when we get back, Tori McElhaney joined us earlier in the show. What she had to say as we get ready for Falcons in Washington coming up on Sunday. Sports Radio, 92 in the game, odyssey.com app. myself up in a big ball and John Chuckery. No, 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 I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. It is a John Chuckery show. Live on this Tuesday evening with you uh, as we get ready for Falcons in Washington coming up this weekend. Of course, big win for the Falcons over the weekend against the Chicago Bears, and of course, we've got a short week and a lot going on with the holidays and everything like that, so we head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. Normally, we talk to her on Wednesdays, but with kind of the crazy holiday week, we're talking to her this evening. Of course, Tori McElhaney is joining us. You can check out uh, all of her work as she covers the Atlanta Falcons for AtlantaFalcons.com and follow her on her Twitter page, at Tori underscore McElhaney. Tori is always appreciated. Always feels good to come off a win as we uh, get ready to feast for a big holiday weekend. You know, everybody's so much happier after a win, me included. It makes my job so much easier. <laughs> you know, let's start, Tori, with um, Solware Pro Football Focus had the Falcons as the number one offensive line graded out for this particular week. And I know it's not sexy and things like that. And, you know, for a team that has had its issues, you know, especially against Derrick Brown in Carolina, at least for a week it's good to see that that was a really good bounce back considering how bad it was that – Thursday against Carolina, they really did a nice job of bouncing back this past Sunday, getting back on track. Now Washington's going to provide a a whole nother set of challenges, but for at least a week to bounce back like that, I thought was a really encouraging sign. 
Yeah, I think so, too, because I remember when, you know, we're, we're up in Carolina, we're up in Charlotte, and I was talking to, I believe it was Chris Lindstrom in the locker room after that loss, and he was very candid in the fact that he felt like this offensive line just wasn't clicking. I believe his words to me were were, were like, we didn't start it, the start that we had just felt off. It felt wrong. It wasn't. It was. It just didn't feel right. And so, I I think to be able to have that moment of things don't feel right and we don't like the way this is go. This is happening. To be able to change that and to go out and perform the way that they did a week later against this Bears defense, I thought was really really important for this group that honestly has started. I believe four different left guards in the last four weeks. I mean, when you're talking about the synergy of a offensive line, everybody talks about how important like the communication between those five players are and to have to switch someone out right between Drew Dahlman and Jake Matthews four weeks in a row, that's really tough to do. So it makes sense that there was a little bit of fluctuation. Now I feel like this offensive line, I agree with you, it's getting back on track. And what's really interesting to me about this offensive line is when we were looking at this offensive line, gosh, even in August or right in the middle of training camp, it really did feel like there were a lot of spots up for grabs and there were things that needed to change with this offensive line. And I think a story that is going very much under the radar is the improvements that we have seen Caleb McGarry make at right tackle. That has been, we, we know who Chris Lindstrom is. We knew what he could provide because he's been providing it for the Falcons in the last couple of years. But same thing with Jake Matthews. But seeing Caleb McGarry, I think, play to the caliber of which he's playing has been one of the major storylines of the year that I think people are just overlooking because I've been very, very impressed with what I've seen from Caleb McGarry, not just in the last few weeks, take away Carolina, but this entire year so far. Tori McElhaney from AtlantaFalcons.com joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Tori, let's talk about the bad. Obviously, we got news, Taquan Graham, uh, Kyle Pitts going to IR. Let, let's start with this on the on the Pitts side of it. Do you think that there is a hope and expectation in the building that he comes back? And how much could, let's say, the last week or two of the season, they find themselves into a win or get in, you know, win and get in type of playoff scenario? Do you think their playoff standing could influence whether or not he comes back on the field? It's a great question, and it's one that I, I think we're still in the process of trying to figure out. I, you know, with MCL tears, which is what has been reported Kyle Pitts has, that is – it's very tricky because you've seen people come back from those relatively quickly, but then you're talking about where we are in the season, and I'm not entirely sure that if Kyle Pitts does have surgery that people are saying are reporting that he's required to have – I'm not sure if he comes back this year from that just because of how far into this season we are. Uh, I'm not writing it completely off, but right now I just I, I think it's probably a worse injury than what anybody expected when you see him get hit and he's down, but then he hops up and runs off the field. I think it's, it's much – I think that was a very optimistic moment and you thought that things were going to be okay, but I'm not as optimistic about seeing Kyle Pitts return to the to the active roster this year. Tori, obviously Taquan Graham's a kid that has really kind of taken a nice jump in year two. 
How much of Grady's success do you think also ties into the fact that Graham has played much better? It feels like those two guys really kind of feed off of one another. And I even like what Anderson has brought in the mix as well. But it really feels like Graham has really helped out Grady. And maybe that's just a symbiotic relationship, those two, you know, both of them improving at the same time. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, that relationship is a very, very important one, not just for on the field, but Grady Jarrett has been a mentor of Taquan Graham for a lot longer than Taquan's been with the with the Falcons. So that relationship in and of itself is very important for both of them. On the field, it is very interesting because all last year, I felt like everything that we talked about, whenever anybody asked me about Grady Jarrett's performance, I said the exact same thing. You have to put someone beside him that's going to help him out. And I think that has been Taquan Graham throughout the majority of this year. I think Taquan, I, I say, you know, losing Kyle Pitts on the offense, I would honestly say that the impact that Taquan, that losing Taquan Graham has is pretty similar to this defense because I think he has been playing so well for this defense and, and so well beside Grady Jarrett. And I, I do think that you have to the, – the thing is, is you have to account for what Taquan Graham is doing. I mean, even though his sack numbers aren't there – what we have seen from Taquan Graham in, in getting to the quarterback, making him uncomfortable in the pocket, is something that I think went overlooked for a few weeks. And now you're sitting there looking at a defensive line without him, and you're like, dang, you're going to miss him. But I will say I was very pleased with what I saw from the depth that I feel like the Falcons have accrued over the course of this season with some guys like, Abdullah Anderson, Timothy Horn, Jalen Dalton. These are all – it's very interesting, too, because if you were to tell anyone back in August that this is what this defensive line looks like, you have Grady Jarrett and you have Abdullah Anderson, Jalen Dalton, and Timothy Horn, I don't think anyone would have believed you because you think about it, all the people that were on the roster over the summer, I mean, even going back further, you had Vincent Taylor and you had – Marlon Davis and you got Anthony Rush, this group has looked very, very different almost month to month. So even in that, the fact that the Falcons have been able to develop some of these guys behind and around Grady Jarrett and Taquan Graham, I think is so important as you move forward with the season, potentially without Taquan Graham any longer. It's our weekly conversation with Tori McElhaney from AtlantaFalcons.com as she joins me here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Do you think this is an opportunity because, you know, whether whatever Pitts' numbers are and things like that, and I actually broke it down, they actually are targeting him at a higher percentage than they were last year. His first down catches are higher year over year. But do you think this is an opportunity where maybe they use Patterson and split him out a little bit more? We've seen little blips and bloops of that. But maybe without Pitts to draw some attention away from London or away from the other receivers – I know, obviously, he's your RB1, but do you think that they may use Patterson and split him out a little bit more this week? Yeah, I definitely think that that's a major possibility because I think you saw CP have more opportunities as a receiver more at the beginning of last year. I remember that I feel like we kind of got away from CP the receiver and started becoming he was a true running back for the Falcons, and I feel like that's been the case so far this year and I know a lot of that has to do 
with the success that they're having in the run game. Now, when you look at, I think, evolving Cordero Patterson's role in the offense because you lose a guy like Kyle Pitts, I think that is something that could be really important because you think back to CP being on IR, and during that time you also had Kyle Pitts going through some hamstring stuff. So it, it was a very different dynamic that you had. Now you have a, a Cordero Patterson back, healthy, ready to go, playing, gosh, as well as we've seen him play in a 10-year career. I mean, he breaks the NFL record. And so because of that, I think he does. I think Cordero Patterson just makes you a better offense. And it's what's funny is that's not coming from me. That's coming from a guy like Grady Jarrett who said after the game, we're a better team with Cordero Patterson on the field. So I think even just having the threat of Cordero Patterson to extend you vertically, I think is very important to at least be like, do what you're saying, be able to take some of the pressure off of Drake London. Tori, I know remember you and I were talking at camp about how much Patterson was lobbying to, you know, return kicks, you know, this year. And obviously he breaks the record last weekend. It was, you know, it was tremendous. Uh, you know, obviously he was ticked off after the fumble. But moving forward, are they going to continue, do you think, to use Patterson back there? Was this one of those things where it was important to break the record, but now maybe not overwork him? Or do you think that they say, look, we're just going to keep running him back out there and, and he's our best chance to, to make a big play and try to make a big, you know, a big return to, to give us better field position? That's a great question, and I feel like if we were to ask Cordero Patterson that question, he would say, never take me off kickoff return, <laughs> because this is a guy who has made his career on special teams. He, he said multiple times how much that's where, that's where he wants to be. Like, yes, the, the running back, uh, Cordero Patterson, is, is, has been really great for the Falcons in the last two seasons. But his bread and butter is in special teams, and that's what he loves to do. He has said many times that he doesn't want to give up kickoff return. It was actually funny because I feel like this is a conversation that comes up with Marquise Williams, who's the Falcons special teams coordinator, pretty much all the time, where he's asked, you know, because of CP's role in the offense, do you kind of taper him back a little bit, give him more chances to Avery Williams? And he's like, well, if it's up to CP, he'd run out there every single time. And so I, I think it, it, it is kind of balancing how much you do want to give opportunities to CP to do what he wants to do. And, I, I mean, if he's productive in it, which we all know he is, then why not? But I do understand the whole – because he is such an important part of this offense, you do kind of have to juggle that decision. Um, and the thing is, is even if they did want to, to take CP off of – kickoff return I think Avery Williams outside of the fumble that he had uh last week I I do think that he's been very productive in punt return so I think he can very much translate translate that over into kickoff return too if need be Tori last question for you just a minute left um this is going to be a tough challenge for this offensive line this week and I'm specifically pointing to Drew Dahlman against Jonathan Allen because if you saw Allen last week against the Texans he completely blew up the interior of their offensive line. couple of sacks, four tackles for loss, hit the quarterback, I think, four times in the game. You know, it's a, it seems like it's, okay, is it the Carolina, you know, group that got blown up by Derrick Brown? Is it what we saw last week? Feels like to me that that's the marquee matchup this week is, can the interior of our line handle Jonathan Allen of the Commodores or Commanders or whatever they're being called nowadays? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I think so too. And, you know, I think we have seen moments where, you know, Drew Dahlman has kind of been here and there. And it, it sometimes I think some people would say that the consistency isn't there. But this is also a guy who's getting his first real taste of starting in the NFL and after sitting last year and being the backup. So I'm okay that there's a little fluctuation in that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a challenge. Arthur Smith says it all the time. It's a challenge every week regardless of who you play because these are all good athletes in the NFL. But to a certain extent, like, there, I think there are bigger challenges for certain defensive lines than others. So for Drew Dahlman, I think it's just finding that consistency and, like, knowing, yes, you're going to get beat against, you know, sometimes the Derrick Browns of the world, but trying to limit that when you do play teams like the Browns where you can take advantage of some matchups. Follow her on Twitter at Tori underscore McElhaney. Tori joins me on the waitfor.com hotline. She, of course, covers Atlanta Falcons for AtlantaFalcons.com. Tori, as always, appreciate it. Have fun. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to you and the family, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. You got it. John Chuckery will be back. Sports Radio 929 The Game, Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Our Falcons play 